0: part one chapter four of the last ditch by violet hunt this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter four from the ladies venice st remy park crescent oh i am so angry the system of quid pro quo i described to you in my last has broken down and i must say mother has surpassed herself in injustice and unfairness too stupid of her to drive me to extremities like this it is a very little thing but one on which i feel i must make a stand i told you i was willing to let mother run me and take me to dull houses and ask her sort of people to ours on condition that i was to do the same and what makes it mean is she doesn't herself object to making use of ida but when i want to perform a small service for ida mother flatly refuses to allow it ida is marrying quite soon a perfectly nice clean and well-bred man gerald quain and wants me to be her bridesmaid there's not a word to be said against him even by mother except that he has the misfortune to be both an architect and artist and a cubic artist to boot and wears a soft hat and a tan shirt these things will pass they are only the trimmings of greatness ida always looks nice except for her hair which she has never learned to do her rowdy locks as ilsa calls them gives mother a handle which she is not slow to take they are going to have a veil and orange blossoms and vergers as well as going properly through the ceremony not leaving out as refined pigs like Hermie mackenzie do it is all a sign surely of respectability and grace and ida hasn't got any sisters or near relations so i should control the dresses which disposes of one set of mother's fake objections then she started superstition about a girl who is bridesmaid three times not being a bride ilsa has never been a bridesmaid once both ida and her mother wrote nicely mrs l especially she chose her phrases so well and her handwriting is small and her ease greek not sprawling all over the page like the fist of mother and her friends it did impress mother a little and rather corrected her desire to be rude But she managed to be all the same and made a fool of herself as well she answered at some length and graciously let mrs leahy into the secret reason for her refusal that is her impression that i ought to be the bride instead of ida fake all fake the real reason is ilsa's past getting into my way as usual all mother's tiresomeness comes from her being so upset about my eldest sister who is a very decent member of society although unmarried if only they would leave her alone and as mother had chosen to give me a fake reason for not allowing me i gave her a fake promise to get her to allow me too and i believe it has done the trick especially if i supplement it with another little super cherie, which i now consider it quite fair to play off on mother she has asked for it ida is very patient about it says that lady Arles's bark is worse than her bite and that there is plenty of time for her to come round the date of the marriage is not fixed and can't be just yet, though they say September, until Gerald's picture, which is to pay for the wedding tour, is finished. They are going to Munich, ida's dream. ida is wild about German culture, and Gerald says the first home of futurism was in Germany. Imagine Gerald and ida, ilsa says, stumping about the Pinakothek in sandals and woollen sweaters and soft hats. The woman, as is usual with this type of dress, looking like a bad copy of the man in clothes just a little softer and more formless ilsa is nice but she can't help jeering a little at my friends and mother enjoys it and it doesn't do gerald or ida any harm if mother and ilsa even knew they are as proud of their own particular kind of chic as mother and ilsa are of theirs with them it is smart to have harmonious dun knitted waistcoats and well-fitting sandals with digitated stockings to match and they hunt all over london to get the right kind just as mother and ilsa pursue their special makes of stays and hats ida and gerald too jeer at our ways but are perfectly polite and civil to us as to an equal though they wouldn't allow us to be rude to them for a moment i remember the occasion of mother's visit to mrs leahy early in the stage of my acquaintance with ida when mother was not so afraid of the leahy connection and was willing to call once to please me we went together and mrs leahy was not in the room the maid mother was surprised to see she kept the maid who was actually dressed in the afternoon and wore a cap the maid went to fetch her and mother sat down on the sofa when mrs leahy came in mother had the cheek to remain sitting while i introduced them but held out her hand i admired the way in which mrs leahy dealt with the situation she first sat down on the sofa beside her guest and then accepted her outstretched hand she could not have signified her disapproval and subsequent condonation for my sake of mother's rudeness better we as a class don't in the least grasp their point of view i do but i am exceptional people like ida and gerald who are in the very forefront of civilization think of us as a fine picturesque institution bound to go soon but to be kept up as long as possible they regard the remains of the feudal system as the hugest joke but wouldn't do away with us for the world so long as we stay where we are till wanted ready to come out at need and fight for our serfs and their homesteads according to contract gerald indeed always says that the need will come that war must recur and that then the aristocracy will have to show that it has not forgotten how to lead meanwhile we exist on sufferance we have our movements recorded in the papers we contribute the scandals that the busy people who have no time to run away to paris with other men's wives or money to lose in horse-racing read out to each other in the evenings mother has the idea that they live in a constant state of struggling up to the light and that the only reason ida wants me to be her bridesmaid is that i may contribute some of that light to the little parlor in notting hill the other bridesmaids are to be three of ida's fellow-workers in the girls friendly where she lectures by which mother could realize that it is far less compromising to stand behind ida with this sort of girl than with second-rate suburban relations mrs leahy's uncle was herbert spencer or mr leakey or some savant whose name i forget gerald's father was a rather famous engineer whose name i also i forget one way and another though the leahys and the quain family too have quite a good record and consider themselves as good as any one else their house is properly run although they don't drink wine and mrs leahy answered the door herself in the mornings they have proper table napkins and not paper squares as mother insists they must have she said to ida once that she thought it a good idea and ida answered pleasantly that she never could bring herself to eat anything if when she sat down she found a wisp of coloured paper stuck in her glass but that if lady arles would give them the pleasure of her company at luncheon one day She would see that for once her ladyship's suggestion should be carried out our people always think that there is nothing between a prince and a pauper for they never come in contact with the rank immediately below them charity takes them at once to the slums and even there the window is dressed for them we see life always from the best places we have a seat as a matter of course in the front row of the grandstand and extra facilities for seeing what is going on The people are willing to concede all sorts of privileges in return for the vague quid pro of feudal service which in the present state of the world civilization we are never likely to be called upon to render we gain all along the line once from our high places we boss things knowing well that we should have our heads cut off if we did it badly or if the capricious crowd surging below altered its mind and decided that we weren't fit to dominate them or if we cheated them as richard the second did poor jack cade nowadays if we muddle our jobs there are no penalties at all a question asked in the house and all is quiet again as for the poor wretches below they have looked up to us so long that their eyes turn up naturally even if we fall and wallow in the gutter they seem hypnotized into believing that we are still up aloft like the boy in the indian juggler's trick Who goes up a ladder and is never seen to come down again. And the convenience of it all. I have relations all over the world in every embassy. I am always having packages left me by King's messengers. I received a lovely Kafkas belt from that big shop in St. Petersburg the other day, a present from Aunt Catherine. She's going to give me a winter over there as soon as I care to leave London. But there's time enough to go to Russia when we've exhausted Rome, which I mean to aim at for the winter. If we go abroad we slide straight into everything the year i was going to be eighteen and hadn't been presented we went to rome quite suddenly it didn't matter because mother was a peeress if i had been the daughter of a commoner even of the prime minister i shouldn't have been able to go to parties at the embassy and we take precedence even in rescue like the Blois girl in the grantham railway accident hetty Blois told me how they were attended to first and escorted out of the upturned railway carriage before everyone else the reverse of the medal for mother is that a title makes all your bills bigger and doesn't prevent your having to pay them in the end like any other commoner and you ought but you don't tip porters higher if you have your name stamped on your boxes but i should like to see mother hampered by her title she insists on all its privileges and gets round most of its obligations if she can she delights in putting on clothes that barrymore would not have as a gift and leaving off her gold pince-nez and the diamond and turquoise enameled watch that belonged to marie antoinette and was given her by the duc de morny goes off in a taxi which she dismisses at aldgate pump to the market at middlesex street on a sunday morning a silver cross made of old bible clasps that she sold to mrs levy in sloane street for three times what she gave for it and some excellent locks in a paper bag was what she brought back last time our title gives us a right to insult people when it is convenient to us not excepting our own friends and it is in my interest too that mother abrogates the very laws of hospitality did i ever tell you about the small and early mother gave once Note: mother bases her excuse on the word early she declared after the event and after she had done what she wanted to and offended every single one of our friends who didn't know what she was capable of. That early on a card means that the hostess reserves to herself the right to keep a supper engagement if she happens to have already contracted one. The engagement to sup at the Ritz was contracted afterwards. Not that that would stop my jesuitical mother from using the excuse, plus her notion that the arles can do as they like. I didn't realize until afterwards what mother was up to though i had seen mr van pomp's letter asking mother and me to supper at the ritz to meet uh, some foreign title or other or was it the russian dancers ilsa was away in paris with miss Twells, the fashion's editor of the beauty's friend that mr jehoshaphat subsidizes for ilsa and meg Twells. and even if ilsa had been there she wouldn't have interfered but just shrugged her shoulders and said that for her part she was ready for bed and that they must all come again another day as you say to a party of children when you break them up forcibly ilsa works colossal impertinence better than mother when she once begins the invitation had come i will swear two or three hours after effel had got all our cards written and posted i rather wondered why mother having read the invitation took it so calmly and tucked away the card as if it didn't concern her any more for i knew her views for me with mr van and i knew too that he was rather sour and savage and thinking himself too rich to be snubbed even by a countess would probably not ask mother again unless she came at his first nod that is the first time he invited her about ten o'clock that evening the drawing-room and boudoir were full we always ask too many people i hate it i like having elbow-room and not people rubbing against my sleeves everyone was talking with voices raised the way people will do when the standard of screaming has been set miss takareska was just going to sing again one of her roumanian folk songs that takes so long to sing no one was thinking of going for another hour i had heard crooks telling the first people to be set down that carriages were ordered at ten thirty and i thought it very officious of him and meant to tell mother next day if i could remember he is such a very old servant that he is apt to take the law into his own hands and consult his own inclinations and crooks is always ready for bed Audley barr was there interested in miss takaresco whom he had picked up in a cabaret in Jassy, and advised and assisted with money to come over and try her fortune in london she wanted to sing here for nothing as he was a friend of mother's but he wouldn't let her he is paying her fee so i understood from mother who thought it quite a nice arrangement that Audley barr should pay the expenses of our entertainments but if he did it in order to make mother feel bad it didn't he was playing host as he generally does at our parties for papa has to go to bed at nine because of his phlebitis mother was if anything less restless than usual suddenly she tilted up her chin by which i knew that she wanted to speak to me i passed into the little narrow passage leading into the morning room it was empty although the room through was full of people mother told me in there speaking loudly although she fancied she was whispering that she had ordered the carriage at ten forty five and it was now waiting for us we were to slip away without anybody noticing under cover of the song which was just beginning i was utterly bewildered just as i was on the night of the fire in portman square and effel couldn't persuade me to move out of my little safe bedroom after the alarm had been given because of the smoke that was puffing in in dense rolls and folds my legs seemed paralyzed then but this time it was my intelligence that was benumbed and my manners in abeyance but still what could i do she wouldn't have scrupled to pinch my arm to make me come or drag at me and make a scene she murmured something about a royal command or was it that mr van pomp had got royalty coming anyway we got downstairs quietly and berrymore was waiting in an angle of the landing with our wraps. as we went past him i heard mother whisper something to Audley. i understood her to say that she expected him to see everybody out of the house without panic or disorder telling them if necessary where their hostess had gone royal command but if they didn't happen to notice letting them just fade away naturally he nodded and said yes he would be very gentle with the shorn lambs or something of the sort irony is lost on mother when she has her mind set on anything and downstairs we went wadley didn't seem at all emotion. he is used to my dear mother indeed everyone is more or less and people seemed some of them to realize that she was shunting them for something better and made a sort of move even as we went downstairs i noticed people our friends pushing past us as if we were only guests like themselves that was the humour of it i fancy one or two of the intimates were anxious both to show their sense of mother's rudeness and get on early to the next party as well it was the height of the season some of them even managed to get out of the house before we did the last thing i saw as we got into the carriage was audely barr looking very weird and nice with the electric light shining on his yellow hair as he stood at the top of our long straight staircase that you can see the whole length of from outside the door speeding the departing guests that's all right mother said with a full sigh as she subsided onto the cushions it was a hint that she had been a little concerned about it and considered that she had carried through a difficult job we rolled along towards piccadilly and i kept up a sturdy silence so as to mark my sense of reprobation i wanted her to understand that for once i did really think that we had strained our aristocratic privilege too far but it was no good mother has the hide of a spanish bull and i don't believe the cleverest toreador could plant a banderillo in it that would hurt or stick except perhaps Audley. you say in one of your letters that you would like to be told something about Audley Barr, as he seems to be always in the house quite true he is here a good deal except when he isn't and then he is very much away in bosnia or madrid where he has a house or burma where he shoots and so on we don't hear of him for months and then suddenly he comes home and takes his place by our fire as if he had never left it everyone regards him as mother's property though as a matter of fact ilsa first brought him to the house got bored with him because she found he couldn't flirt and turned him over to mother he isn't in love with mother he isn't in love with anyone he'd sooner have a place on a woman's hearthrug than in her heart mother's hearthrug for a choice he is the tame cat though he's more like a fish a nice cold scaly fish steers about in a tank all day by the rudder of its tail and stares at you out of an abstracted eye as it swims past the fish metaphor is helped by the fact that he wears his mouth slightly open mother who is out to kill romance even with her own Audley, says it is because he suffered from adenoids in his youth and yet in his fishy way i do believe Audley loves mother more than anybody in the world what takes him is of course the contrast between her energy and his supineness he is too lazy to protest at the time when she makes him perform all sorts of absurd tasks for her but when it is suddenly too much for him he gets up and goes away a very long way away once he stayed abroad for a year sometimes it is half a year generally it is a couple of months mother doesn't pine for him too obviously but when she wants somebody to write a lawyer's letter for her or draw up a new codicil to her will or do a bit of diplomacy generally getting something cheap or even settle a tiresome bill she sighs and says i wish to goodness Audley barr were here to deal with it he does not come to heel at once even when he does come back but sometimes waits quite a long time before he signifies that he is ready to resume his duties sometimes when i am out with mother i see Audley flash by in an open taxi and he waves to me as much as to say see you soon mother i say there's Audley," and while she is fumbling with her pince-nez he is out of sight and if he doesn't turn up within a day or two she will have it that i am mistaken i am not i have a royal memory for faces she is awfully fond of Audley, not only because he is rich she says he is so loyal and true to her she need never be jealous except perhaps of some of the numerous committees he has put his name on and that is because the horrid impersonal things get so much money out of him and mother naturally wants to be the only one to do that once he gave her a lesson i often laugh over it i heard it from berrymore mother never of course said a word when we had beardmore you know we were eight miles from the station and had to send in for stores and to meet people who were coming to stay mother was pleased when they said they preferred to walk or come on bicycle and let their luggage come by carrier Audley sometimes walked and sometimes not once then when he was coming and had to be met as he had hurt his foot mother chose not to send in the cart as usual she had got a scheme in which Audley was to help her she had a great case of stores down from the army and navy and it was at the station waiting for her to send in for it the dog cart would not be able to deal with anything so large and she was having a row with the man who had the only lorry in beardmore village and was putting him in coventry to make him more civil so she sent dawkin's great landau to meet Audley and put it down to him dawkin always takes the opportunity of charging a pound for the landau as it is so very seldom out the joke was that Audley used the landau to come on to beardmore inn paid the driver and left the case behind that was a lesson for mother but he gives us anything we seem to hanker after and cannot afford at the time his presents are always just what one likes he gave ilsa a gorgeous barbaric charm thing that he had had made especially for her ilsa always wears it she loves it she says it is her only innocent trinket he is away just now in bosnia mother wants him over the arrangements for taking the house in scotland that is where we shall finally settle i believe She has had to manage all that herself and when he comes back she is sure to make it a grievance with him if anything has gone wrong about it on the whole life is pleasanter when audely is here to give mother lunches and dinners when there is a domestic crisis and lend us his man when we want him and buy mother the things she pretends she cannot afford to get for herself i've known audely take up a servant's character for mother and dismiss her when she wouldn't do oh yes he is her mainstay but i am bound to say he takes it out in insulting her he does it in such a quiet affectionate way that she never resents it she can't it is so wrapped up but by that means he contrives to get off the most awful speeches to her she looks just helpless for the moment and then returns breezily to her point whatever it is showing plainly that his criticisms haven't affected her in the least the truth is she doesn't like to be made to think papa never did try and that is why they get on so well together always we now and then try to make her look ahead a little but we only bore her and Audley's clever generalizations are miles over her golden head as he says fondly i love them Audley is most amusing though he once wrote a dull book which is odd considering he says des choses à faire frémir in a still small voice he is much too proud to say what he means ever anybody can do that he never talks facts but his theories are lovely and wild and light as they say of cakes i often tell him he is like shelley's cloud an elemental rather watery spirit who floats in the empyrean and has chosen to shed facts to get rid of ponderability he can tell fortunes by your palm and mend violins and compose songs sing a little and do conjuring tricks he knows astrology and has told our horoscopes i am what he calls a scorpio person a degenerate and shall most likely die mad he makes all these wild statements with a perfectly grave face and mother gets so angry me a crank ilsa the only person in the house who isn't ida and Gerald know audely and like him he is rather fond of mrs leahy too but we daren't tell mother that for it would upset her or that he goes there often and talks philosophy with her he can't with mother he is present at every meeting in their house if he is in town and goes to supper there occasionally i go too sometimes but i never say it is not worth while it puts a nice new face on audely to meet him on neutral ground ida thinks he has a great brain and would do something if he were put to it but that as it is with a good income and no ties what about the lady in madrid and the jointures he has to keep up but ida has never heard of a jointure she says he will just drift through life attending scrupulously to his own comfort and mother's and mine and anyone's who seems to expect it of him in germany last year audely acted as courier anything about travelling that audely doesn't know or any language or even patois he doesn't speak in little places like treves he was excellent at nauheim of course where everybody speaks english he got us into the inner ring of german officers If I had only not been a fool and attended to Fräulein more, I should have had much more fun out of them. As it was, my bad German appears to have insulted these people continually. There was a Count Le Lufel whom I tolerated. One must tolerate somebody in those sort of places, or one is bored to death. And he pursued me, being always at my side to mother's satisfaction. He was a frivolous young ass, though a German, and was at Nauheim for his heart. He had strained that mighty organ at Potsdam, playing polo before the kaiser, whose favourite officer he was. Mother really began to think that if she played her cards well, she might leave me behind in Germany, with the kaiser to pull my ears and shut me up in the house if I disobeyed my husband, as I hear he does to the insubordinate wives of men about the court. She used to be very much annoyed when Ilsa, to tease, told her that Le Lufo had his hand on his sword-hilt all the time I was talking to him as we sat around one of those little cogly tables in the kurhaus i was trying to convey to le luffel that german officers had no respect for women and that one of them had actually pushed me off the pavement at wiesbaden because he wanted me to walk in the gutter and i wouldn't for him na na gnädiges frulein and his blue eyes flashed i said that everybody knew that german officers thought themselves the only thing that mattered in germany and were brutal on principle to all women and civilians because they would be of no use on der talk. i don't know how i got hold of that catchword. i suppose i heard them saying it audely explained me to leluffel and explained leluffel to me that he himself didn't mind my saying that all german officers had a contempt for women but that a german officer had been wanting in respect to me i dropped leluffel later on when he was naive enough to ask me to procure him an introduction to a girl who was staying in our hotel he said she had a neat face and pretty feet she wore shoes with black bows and they were always properly tied and never came undone mine do occasionally ilsa says that i should by now have been her excellency hochvor geborene, if i hadn't let the count with his passion for tidiness see me sitting for two hours at Stickerbacher mulles where we all went for tea with my blouse undone three buttons and a half at the back i did not know it was i never feel draughts until an old grand duchess who had developed a great schwerm for me came quietly up behind me as i sat and did it up with her own fair fat fingers people over here always seem to me to imagine german officers as beefy good-humoured and blonde, but i maintain that they are as a rule dour and sinister and undersized and though they have large ears have horrid wasp waists i believe some of them were stays nothing but stays could give the little bite in in the grey pallet just over the hip bone which used to sicken me i don't know why it looked so morbid and degenerate some of the older ones had big handsome cloaks with high upstanding collars trimmed with gold galoon which they used to fling over their shoulders as they made their way to their mess table in the inner room of the hotel at treves the cloaks seemed to be going to flick us and the dishes off the table but much they cared their arrogance was beastly every little humble soldier had to jump up and salute even when half-way through a drink so that the beer ran out of the corners of his mouth up on their feet in a minute they were this hideous exaggerated discipline thank god we don't have it here once at hildesheim when the restaurant was full of officers we walked up and down outside for an hour till there was room for us there was no question of our getting a bite or even being let in till they were done this was their time i peeped under the blind once or twice being hungry to see how they were getting on although oddly reproved me for doing it and all i could see was feet and swords lying along the floor the rest of them was cut off by the blind rod you seem to be looking at an arsenal these men treated us all with the utmost contempt in spite of our titles we used to go out to tea-gardens especially to a very charming one near treves at the end of a rather long walk that was made up to one by the excellent tea they provided the pflaumkuchen and zahn torte and all the lovely cakes germans have we sat at little deal tables on the green and all the german officers and their wives and sweethearts used to drive out there from trev by the road we had trudged with the other civilians across the dead councillor that was the name of the hill we might have driven too but ilsa made us walk because she was afraid of getting fat they sat there at their ease, talking very little to their gemelins, abstracted or sulky, with their swords trailing on the grass. He used to make me shiver. I always do at the thought of knives. They Most of them had brought their dogs, nice dogs, especially Great Danes. I always talk to a dog, and owners are generally flattered. These men were not, but the reverse. They used to turn round surlily, or not at all, and call their dogs to heel, As if my touch would have corrupted the animals. It was odd and annoying for one isn't used to being snubbed like that. I believe the Germans hate us. End of chapter four recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.